Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Linda. Hi, I'm Linda H., Compulsive Reader. Uh, um, so what it was like, I grew up in a family of compulsive overeaters, like many of us did. I was an only child, and my parents and I would sit in front of the television and uh, consume a box of candy, and we knew exactly what was in it because of the shape and the swirl on the top. There were no biting in and saying, oh, no, I don't like this, and throwing it away. We were able to consume them all because we knew what was in them before we even approached them. Uh, the other thing I remember about my childhood was being a babysitter and going to people's houses and the the mother or father would say, oh, help yourself to whatever you'd like. And um, I uh, would get those kids to sleep and then I would start looking in the cupboards. And um, see, I, what I remember most is finding a box of something and tasting it and thinking, oh, that's pretty good. And then eating some more and some more and some more and then looking in the box and seeing that the the level had gone down quite a bit and an embarrassing amount. And so I would take the box and sort of shake it and think I would puff it up so it wouldn't look quite so um, so empty. I also remember as a child that all the activities that my family went to or I went to, that it wasn't the activity that I was looking forward to. It was the food connected with it. It, it was uh, when we went to a ball game, it was that box of uh of um, stuff that had a prize in it and when I went to the movies it was the popcorn and when I went to the county fair it was that pink fluffy stuff and and if there wasn't a specific food connected with an activity there was probably a meal afterwards and so it wasn't the activity that I even and even while I was there I kept you know like looking at my watch when is this going to be over so we can go and eat so I, I missed out on a lot of stuff in my childhood because of, of the compulsive overeating and the, the thinking, the compulsive thinking about food. And later in life when I was working, I, um, I had a job where I had a desk and um, I used to want to put something in my desk drawer for a snack, which seemed like a logical thing to do. And whatever I would bring um, for the week seemed to disappear in a day or so. And then all of a sudden I, I learned about rice cakes. I don't know if they were invented then or whatever, but I thought, ah, that's the perfect thing for my desk because who's going to eat a whole thing of rice cakes? They don't taste that good. No, that didn't work at all. I could eat plenty of those. So that didn't work. The other thing that was a problem on my job was that I had um, – I was working at a school, and I needed to be out with the kids during lunchtime. So it was like, well, when do I eat my lunch? And when I tried to eat my lunch before, then I was like ravenous for dinner at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So that didn't work. So then I thought, well, I have to wait till afterwards and eat then. And then, of course, that wasn't too good because I was looking at all this food and all these kids eating, and I was hungry. And I would see them, you know, like not eat everything and throw it away in the bag in the trash and thinking, I could go in there and get, that was a good family. I could get, I could get that 
back out of the trash and eat it, that would be okay. And I, I, to tell you the truth, I don't remember if I ever did that, but I might have, I certainly, if somebody offered me something, I certainly took it. So those are, you know, some of my memories. The, the other thing was that I grew up in the 50s, and in the 50s, single-digit dress sizes were not the norm, um, which was fortunate because I was not even near a single-digit dress size. Um, I mean, Marilyn Monroe, I think, was a size 12. So I didn't have that pressure, um, and I was pretty normal through my teenage years. It wasn't until I started having kids and traveling um, the world with my first husband that, um, that the food sort of kicked in. So that was sort of what it was like. What happened was that I, um, I decided to retire, and I was, um, I was turning 60 and working 60 hours a week, and I thought, this is not good, working 60 hours a week. And so I decided to retire, and um, it was a little scary because I thought to myself, well, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to sit home all day and uh, eat bonbons and watch soap operas? I mean, that didn't seem like a really good life. So I had, um, my mother had come to OA, and I think I had even been to OA once or twice with somebody, but um, I found three early morning meetings, and I thought this is a good place for me to be because it starts my day off and I have a place to go. And so I started doing that um, right after I retired. And I heard everyone say, you need to get a sponsor. And I thought, oh, yes, I need to get a sponsor. And then I heard people say, but you need to find someone who has what you want. And I thought, yes, well, I'll, nobody, none of you look like you have what I want. <laughs> um, but I think the truth was it was too scary. I didn't want to do my fourth step. I didn't want to have to make amends. And so... I um, used that as an excuse for, for almost a year. And then one, one morning I was sitting at a meeting and someone was sharing and a, a voice in my head, which I later know was God's voice, saying she would be okay. So the meeting was over and I knew she was going to work and I thought, well, I can't call her now. Um, I'll just wait until 6 o'clock when she was home. And that same voice said, you know... You ought to call now because, one, you could forget, or two, you could have a horrible eating day and not feel, you know, worthy to call. So I did call, and she was my sponsor for many years. And, um, and so that, that was my, my – so I didn't get abstinent until like a year after I was in. And I've been abstinent now over 12 years. And my abstinence is three meals a day and two snacks. And um, I didn't start out with no sugar, but very quickly I realized that that was not going to be an okay thing. And so um, I, I haven't had sugar in maybe 11 and a half years. Um, the, the kind that, you know, looks like sugar. I'm sure there's sugar in some other things that I eat, but not the, not the, not the dessert kind. And um, I also started uh, with another thing that I added to my abstinence after a while, which was no eating after dinner, because I was, um, I was, I square dance, and there's a lot of food there, and there's a lot of sugar food, which I wasn't eating, and that was fine, but the, um, the other stuff was sort of calling my name, and I was, I was eating a lot of that, and it was more than a snack, it was sort of a continuous, uh, a continuous snack, whatever that is. So I gave that up, and that's, um, that's been four or five years that I've done that. So I added that to my abstinence. So when I came in, I came into the program, I was over 200 pounds, 
And I felt like all I needed to do was lose weight. I had a pretty good life. I had friends. I was close to my family. I had some financial security. I lost about the about 25 pounds, which I've managed to keep off for 12 years, which is really a miracle. And um, and I and what I found out was that the program taught me a new way of life. It wasn't just about the food, as most of us find out. And one of the things that um, that happened was that I, uh, in the square dancing, uh, there was a couple there, and they had a um, a friend that they wanted to fix me up with, and that was like, oh my God. And um, I had. You know, all along, I had been divorced for about 20 years, and people had said to me, oh, are you dating? And I would say, oh, no, no, I'm much too busy with work. I can't do that. But, you know, what I really wanted to say was, no, I'm too old and I'm too fat. So here I was, uh, square dancing, and um, they wanted to fix me up with this this guy the next dance. And and they said, was I coming? And I said, well, no, I have to take my, my son to dinner, but I'll be there later on. So I came later on, and... He pointed, um, he pointed out his friend, and I looked over there and thought, oh, he's too short and too old. <laughs> but because of this program, because of one day at a time, or sometimes one minute at a time, um, I didn't completely reject him, and we had one dance and didn't talk very much, and he said, oh, I'll be back in two weeks. And I thought, oh, okay. And I completely forgot about him. He came back in two weeks, and... Um, he started talking about wanting to get, he'd been divorced, wanting to be married again, and that was like, oh, no, not bad. I mean, that just seemed much too, much too scary. But one day at a time, we did see each other, and now um, eight and a half years later, we're still married. So, <laughs> so I, I really, I mean, I think if it weren't for this program, I would not have been open to that. I would not have, um, you know, let him in my life. And, and the truth is, he's still short and he's still old, but... <laughs> It really, it really doesn't affect our relationship. So that that's that's one thing that um, that happened um, as a, as a result of of this program. And and what it's like now um, is that I go to four meetings a week. Um, I have three commitments um, at three different meetings. I have a sponsor. It's my third sponsor. Um, my first sponsor that I was with many years, after I got married, she said she thought I ought to have a sponsor that was married too. Um, so I did. I changed and got a new sponsor. And we started working together. And just as I was on the fourth step, she, um, she I'd say she dumped me. But basically, she she was busy and she didn't have time for me. And so she let me go. And eventually... She did apologize for that. And um, at that time, somehow, I figured I could do it without a sponsor. And so I was sponsorless for probably over a year. And that wasn't working too well because some of the weight I had lost was creeping back on. And I um, I was feeling like a fraud. So I found a third sponsor, and I've been working with her for over a year, and, and that's really been um, that's really been good. And I um, I sponsor people. I have um, I have one sponsee that I've had for over nine years, and the rest of them seem to have come and gone. Some of them have moved away. Some of them have left program. Some of them were um, were not good for my serenity and 
through the help of a sponsor, I let one person go who was angry at me all the time. I mean, I knew intellectually that she was angry at lots of other things, and she took it out on me. And um, I just wasn't strong enough to, you know, let it bounce off of me without it affecting me. And so my sponsor at the time, you know, said I should let her go, and I did. And then just recently I had a sponsee who um, really had a lot of problems, and I, I really worked hard with her, but that didn't work out, and I did have to let her go. She, she quit me, and then she wanted back, and anyway, so... I, I don't know that I've been a great sponsor, but, you know, when somebody asks, I do say yes. Just like when somebody asks for me to share at a meeting, I do say yes. And that's part of, you know, what I've learned in this program. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's, that's being of service. And that's, that's the other big thing that I've really learned in this program is being of service. Um, my best example has to do with my father. Um, he was about 96, and he had a lady friend, and living, he was living on his own, and uh, she, would, she called and said, you know, you know, Linda, I think he's only eating ice cream and cookies for dinner. And I, said, I thought to myself, oh, well, that sounds good. <laughs> and then um, my son called him and was talking to him, and he, he said he had gone and visited these people at an assisted living and should... And um, and it was so nice and this and that. And my son said, well, why don't you go there? And after all, he's 96. And he said, oh, no, I can't afford it. So my son calls me and says, well, can he afford it? And I said, you know, I don't know. I um, He had put me on his checking account, but I didn't have any checks, and I never wrote any checks, and I had no idea how much money he had or what he was doing. So I went over there, and I found his desk in his bedroom, which like this high with paperwork, and I shuffled through it all, and there were bills and whatever. And at the bottom, there were three envelopes that were sealed and stamped and addressed. So I opened them up, and there were checks inside, and they were dated a year earlier. He had gotten that far and hadn't mailed them. And, you know, as, as I got more and more involved in his life, I realized that, he, you know, he had pretty severe dementia. He could... He was friendly, he could chit-chat, but in terms of remembering something for more than two minutes, he was not able to do that. And when I came across his checkbook and I looked at the, you know, like where the total should be, there was nothing. And I said, well, how do you know how much you have in the bank? And he said, oh, I call before I write a check. So he had been calling his, his, his bank every whatever to find out. And the truth was he had plenty of money in there and didn't need to call, but... Anyway, so I got involved with his finances, and then I got involved with his doctor, uh, and then I got involved make, putting his pills in a little thing, you know, from Monday through Sunday. And then I realized once when I went back after a couple of days that he had taken all of his pills in one in two days, the whole week's worth. So at that point, um, I talked with his friend, and we decided he needed to go into an assisted living, and... Um, she she kept telling him, oh, it's going to be like a vacation, and they give you your food, and it'll be so nice, and they'll make your bed, and whatever. And he kept saying, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. So I uh, finally said to her, tell him we're ready. So, um, so he went into assisted living, he got ill, he had an operation, he went to rehab, he went back to the hospital with pneumonia, he went back to rehab. And um, he passed away at, at 99 years old. Wow. And um, in the last 
four months of his life, um, I hired a, a, a young man to be with him 24-7 because he was going out to the assisted living out in front. And when you said to him, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going out to wait for the cab to take me home. And he'd already been living there for three months. So he, he did need care. And I bring, I'm telling you this long story because for me, if I hadn't been in this program and hadn't had the concept of service, I would have felt really hard done by that I was having to do all of this stuff. For a father that um, I was never really very close to, as growing up he was, um, he worked six days a week, he had a, uh, he had a shoe store and he worked evenings and on Sunday, his day off, he went and played golf. So I didn't spend a lot of time with him. I didn't, um, I didn't particularly resent him for it, but I wasn't that close to him. But the concept of service that I got from this program really enabled me to do all of that to be there for him to I mean at the end I was putting soap on the washcloth and handing it into the shower for him to to take a bath with it allowed me to do it without feeling um, put out that much I you know I saw it as service to him and um, and when he died I really felt like I had done everything that needed to be done I didn't have any regrets I didn't um, feel like if only, if only, if only. And I'm really grateful for that because there's no way of taking that back. And um, so that was, that was a big, that was a big um, part of, of being in this program and, and, and the, doing the service. And um, part of my program also is that I, I pray every day. I also do the um, AEIOU in the end of the day. Um, A, abstinence, E, exercise, I, something for myself, O, for others, and U, for sort of uncovering feelings. And what that, uh, when I first started doing it, it was like, well, no, I don't have any of that, and I didn't do that, and I didn't do that. And then I realized that if I wanted to have something at the end of the day to be able to sort of take that on, I had to be thinking about it during the day. If I wanted to, at the end of the day, say, yes, I did something for others, I have to make a conscious effort during the day to do something for others, or I'll be like, well, there's nothing here. <laughs> so that's something that I've done fairly recently, and that, um, and that I've liked that. Um, I did meditate for a while, and I haven't done that, and that's, that was really hard for me, but I do pray at the end of the day. And, um, and I've also learned to pray for people that I love and that are in trouble, and I've also learned to pray for people that I don't love who um, cause, me, cause me aggravation or, or pain, and I've learned to pray for them too. And at first I didn't even know what to say. I mean, like, how do you pray? What do you say? And then I just said, pray for, pray for, um, I had a friend named Corrine who has since died, and I kept saying, pray for Corrine, pray for Corrine, and that was all I did. I didn't I didn't have any marvelous, wonderful words. I, I grew up um, without an active religion. My, my family is Jewish, and we sort of, uh, our religion came out in the meals we ate, um, <laughs> not in any, um, any services or any, anything else very spiritual. So, um, but I've learned in this program that, that praying is okay. Um, you know, it, it's not the kind of praying that I did in the past where you think, oh, please, God, does make it a parking space, you know, close by kind of thing. Now it's like, I don't care where the parking place is. If it's far away, then I'll get more exercise. And that's, that's a good concept. 
Um, I've also learned about God shots in here, um, and I didn't know what those were at first either, but I, um, I was craving something sweet, and there was a shop on the promenade that sold things that were sweet that didn't have sugar in them. And uh, I decided to go there, and I parked, and I traipsed over there. And when I got there, on the door it said, out of business. <laughs> so I thought that was a pretty good God shot. Um, but I, you know, I didn't need that, and it, you know, it, it wasn't there. So well, another thing that I found out through this program is character defects. Obviously, I've had those all my life, but I never looked at them that way. And one of the ones that I identified with my first sponsor was the character defect of being impatient. I am very impatient. I, I was never aware of it in, in the way that I am now because of program, and I never identified it as something that, that I, I could get rid of or should get rid of or might want to get rid of. And now because of program, it's like I pray that it, it's lifted at times. And I'm also willing to say to people, you know, uh, I am an impatient person. I'm sorry. That's, that is part of, of, of who I am. And that, um, that itself is, is, is part of this program because I would have never even identified it, nor would I have shared it with anybody, nor would I have even looked at trying to change it because it just seemed like the rest of you were very slow and very, um, you know, taking too much time and not doing it right. And now I can see that it's not you, it's me. And that's the other thing that this program has given me, that for everything that I think you have done wrong or are doing wrong, I have a part in it. And I have this, there's a part of me that, um, that's responsible for that. It's not just you. And I remember making an, making amends, and um, my sponsor saying to me, you know, it's um, you make the amends, and it, and you don't say but you, or wait for them to come back and say, well, I'm sorry, I did X, Y, and Z. That you just make the amends and, and get clear. And um, I'll, I'll end with one amends that I made recently with this new sponsor that um, was very difficult. And I don't remember with my first time when I went through whether. I thought of it or I just didn't want to deal with it. And this time when I made my list of, um, of people to make amends to, I did not put it on the list. But as I was sharing it with her, I realized that I, I owed some money to a, a company. And it was complicated and I didn't want to share it, but I did. And it was, it was a big relief. Um, she helped me work through how to make the amends and uh, how much money to make the amends for and, you know, what to do. And it, it was a big relief. I was, I don't, again, I think it was God's will that made me even share it with her because I, I don't remember the first time around. It was something that started way before I was in program and wasn't even something that I started. It was something that my kids got me involved in. And um, and so now I'm, uh, i I've done that. I've made that amends, and um, you know, after I did that, I, I was—I um, found some weight leaving me, which I thought was interesting. Um, that I had been carrying that, whether I was aware of it or not, it was there, and I was—I'm um, relieved, and I'm relieved that you know she was very good about helping me get through it without, um, in in the best possible way, and that's I think you know the. 
the pitch for having a sponsor and working the steps and um, doing what we need to do to, um, you know, to live a good life and to live um, with or without food, but still, you know, this this program is one of the hard ones. We have to still eat, and um, we can't give it up completely. So, and to live without being obsessed with food is something that I strive for. So. Thank you very much for letting me share. And people have questions. Anybody have a question? Yes. What do you do on a daily basis for your program? Do you have a morning routine, an evening routine? Okay, what do I do on a daily basis for my program? I don't have a morning routine, but I do have an evening routine. I, I, I pray, I do the AEIOU, and I do, I do make phone calls, but not always three a day. I'm not quite as good at that as I was when I first came into program. I hear people, you know, who talk about praying in the morning and meditating in the morning, and the morning just doesn't seem to be a good time for me, so I I don't. Um, I sometimes pray before going to a restaurant because I find that very difficult, eating out. Um, But I don't pray for the meals that I eat at home because they are pretty mundane and um, you know, I eat the same thing usually, so that doesn't, I don't do that. Another question? Yes? You talked about God a little bit. Um, how does God look to you? And have you talked about, you know, before going to restaurants? <laughs> I do. Um, I, I think, I feel God in my life. I don't know, um, is it a he or a she, or is it just the sunset or the ocean, or... Is it this group of people? But I think there is a higher power. And um, and I think, you know, it's because of that higher power that I've been willing to be in, in these rooms for over 13 years. And it, it's because of a higher power that I've been able to, you know, use the principles and the uh, steps and traditions of this program in my life. And, and hopefully I feel like I'm a better person because of it. Um, you know, I don't know. If uh, if others would say so, but I feel like I'm a better person because of it, and I think without God, it's it can turn into a diet, and um, I always say a diet is a four-letter word. So we don't like four-letter words, and um, so that's my my take on God. Anyone else? Thank you very much for letting me share.